All right, welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel and Kevin Wade are both here as well. Oof, this is this is going to be tough to break down. Oregon falls in overtime, thirty-eight to twenty-one, to Stanford. Number seven, Stanford comes into Autzen Stadium, scores seventeen straight points in the final three minutes and ten seconds of regulation and overtime, and Steals. I think it's safe to say, guys, that they steal a victory from Oregon. Ducks should be 4-0. Uh, a lot of questionable decisions down the stretch from whether it's Oregon's coaching staff, Stanford's coaching staff, the referees. Um, a lot of questionable outcomes that happened, most notably the should he kneel, should he not kneel by Mario Cristobal decision. The Ducks had the ball second and two with, I think, 51 seconds to go at, what was it, Stanford's 40-yard line. Yeah. And Crystal Ball elected to run the football, and C.J. Verdell fumbled. It was technically his first lost fumble, but his second, you know, fumble. second fumble of, of the game. Uh, one of them was nullified because he was down. Um, Stanford obviously recovers, and then... They go down 51, 51 seconds. They go down the field, and Jet Toner kicks a 32-yard field goal to as a time expires to tie it up at 31-31. And then Colby Parkinson, two plays in into overtime, catches a 23-yard pass from Castillo. And then uh, Oregon gets a, a first down, on, I think, on like their second play of, over, of overtime. And then they're at the 10-yard line of Stanford's and proceed to throw four straight, three straight incompletions in the fourth. Uh, being an interception by from Justin Herbert, game over. Ducks lose 38-31. Lot to digest. Can we just say that Herbert only had seven uh, failed passing attempts all night? Yeah, twenty six of thirty three, three hundred forty six yards, one touchdown. Seven and four came or five, five, five came in overtime. I think he was nearly perfect. Was it until was it four or five? It was five. Because he had the one on first down of oh, overtime. Right, right, right. Four, four straight, and then, and then the first one on first down of the... Uh, well, let, I think like, we should probably... Let's just, what's our opinion on the decision to not kneel the ball? We should. I think that's... To me, to me the game kind of starts and ends with so that decision. Y- you guys both had gone on the field. I was the only person on press row right. when that happened. And I felt like I was just like looking at the clock. I was doing my mental math. I've, I've done the math like eight times now. Like, re-round it, watch the clock done the math. The Ducks would have punted or that fourth down play would have snapped with somewhere anywhere between 6 and 11 seconds. Yeah. Chris Ball seemed to think it was around 15 to 10. I have done the I've done the math 15, based off like what the thing, I mean, you look on Twitter, other college football analysts have done the math. Some some have said high end of 12. I think it could be closer to 6 if they did the proper well, like, nail kind of step back. I was going to say it's worth like noting that we just watched Washington finish a win over Arizona State in pretty similar circumstances, and they did what Oregon did not, which was Jake Browning, rather than taking the kneel, ran around in the backfield for about five to six seconds and slid while the clock expired. That's all Oregon needed to do. The clock went to 40, which means that it will expire. That's all Oregon had to do. Right. Um, As a football, as like someone who just sees this, just I watch a ton of football, as we all do, but it was just one of those situations where you're just like, Worst comes to worst, 
they have to go the field. The probability of a punt return at that thing. Or just boot it out of bounds and go, like, make them throw a 90-yard Hail Mary lateral play. Here's what I said in the story, in my story. I, I was on the side of the fence that when it immediately happened, I was immediately questioning the decision, saying it was the wrong move. I was not okay with it. It was a bad decision. Um, and going in, hearing Cristobal talk about it, what he said necessarily didn't change my mind, but it was more of the realization of kind of the theory behind it. And, you know, obviously when an emotional something like that happens, you can get, you know, you can make a rash hot take decision. And I felt like going in, you know, when the, when the clock hit zero, it was bad, I felt like it was a bad call. But Oregon football has been who they are because they have been the aggressor. Sure. And they became this elite program because they were aggressive. They were they were not playing to lose. They were playing to ice the game. And that's what Mario Cristobal did. You know, if if CJ Verdell doesn't fumble that football, we're sitting here talking about what a gutsy call that was and they just went out and just took it from them. They didn't, didn't leave any doubt. Or we're not even talking about it because it, and, and it's worth mentioning it. The most agonizing part is I think Verdell picked up the first down before he fumbled. Yeah. I think that was going to be a first down and the game would have been over. But but, I'm, but I think if he doesn't fumble there and the game ends, I don't think we're even talking about the decision because it felt sort of insignificant at at, at the moment. I think if, if you were really looking at it, you, like Kev, Kevin was. They first down. Right, they, were, they remained aggressive. The, but, that is too aggressive. I. That's too aggressive. They passed it on first down of that series, if I'm correct, right? Right. They, they, well, I mean, they, they did. So they, they followed did. their MO, but what I'm saying is that if, if, if Verdell completes that play and it's a first down, we're not even talking about the decision because it felt in, insignificant. Oregon had everything in every position to win. Maybe someone mentions, oh, they could have just taken a knee there and the game would have been almost over, but no one's second-guessing it. Unfortunately, Verdell makes a, a freshman mistake. He fumbles the ball. We've seen freshmen do this before. Trying to do a little too much, but like I said, I think I think if he just falls down and doesn't try to, to gain any more yardage, and and again, it would have been third and inches at the worst. I think it's first down. I think Oregon is now in victory formation, taking the knee, and they win the game thirty-one twenty-eight. This is what Crystal Ball said. He was he was asked, I think, four different times. Too many times. Uh, yeah, it's too 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 many um, about why he went for it. I asked one. Bonder Smith from the Portland Tribune asked one. Uh, the his name escapes me, and I apologize. James from the Oregonian, the, the Oregonian new writer asked it, and someone else asked it too. Um, one of those answer, one of those questions. This is what Chris Ball said. Look, this is where I think Chris Ball kind of got frustrated with the continuation of being asked. He answered it, and then there was a pause between the next question, and he right. kind of threw in an, another statement about it, and he said, "Look, we're going to be aggressive, man. It's aggressive." In our eyes, when our offensive line is playing as we did against them, you're knocking people off the ball. You trust your guys to get it done. A lot of things could go a lot of different ways. It's easy to second-guess after. But you know what? Just like the fourth down on the other end, we are going to play football. And I'm okay with it. I I probably would have kneeled myself. Yeah. But knowing how Oregon football has gotten to the level that, that they've gotten to um, – and knowing the fact that look, Devin Melendez is a is a senior long snapper that's really never played before. He's never played in a pressure situation like this before. Tom Snee is a freshman punter who didn't play in his first football game. I'm not talking college. I'm talking ever. Right. His first football game ever was against Bowling Green. 
you have funky things that could happen. I think Sydney had four career punts coming into today. Yeah, I mean, you 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 could have a long. We we've seen an all American center, an all American caliber center, and Jake Hansen today struggle with snaps. And I understand he's not snapping the ball, but funky things happened, and eliminate the chance for funkiness and have the ball in your hands to make the final play that you need to, which you've shown throughout the game that you could. I mean, Verdell ran for over 100 yards. He had, I think he had a touchdown. It's not yeah, like he it's not like he was, you know, a bad player tonight. He was. It, it was just a bad circumstance that played out. I think if we want to, I've mentioned this a couple of times on social media and then on my story on the site. But I think if you want to look at it, kind of the silver lining is that Oregon is is better than I think we thought they were. To be honest, because this game could have very easily. Obviously, this is one of those revisionist history things to say. But this game, you take away. And I don't know, have we mentioned the strange two fumbles and three plays where Oregon looked like Jalen Red scored the pylon thing? I, or if that go, if that play goes Oregon's way, it's thirty-one-seven with about three minutes to go in the third quarter, and that game is over basically, yeah. right? I and mean, that game that's almost an un- unsurmountable lead uh, for Stanford to, to to complete. And and at that point, Oregon probably ends up winning this game like thirty-eight to fourteen or something like that. And we're talking about man, this is a really good Oregon football team that has a chance really to win the conference. I don't think we felt real confident in saying those type of things before this game. But that, that's kind of the magnitude and the caliber that they played with. So it's really unfortunate that these plays, you know, obviously cost them the game, and, and now you look up and Oregon is 3-1 is and one when they really should be 4-0. and oh. But I think if you want to look at it with kind of a positive slant, you can go, Justin Herbert played about as good of a game as, or, as an Oregon quarterback has played maybe ever. Yeah. It, you know, you take away – if that game ends in regulation, he's something like 25 for 27 for 335 yards and a touchdown. Um, Dylan Mitchell had one of the best games in Oregon receivers. Had 14 catches, 239 yards. The run game showed up much better than we, I think, even had anticipated. Um, 180 yards on the ground, and Stanford couldn't run the ball. Bryce Love at 89 yards today, which I think if you asked Oregon before the game, yeah, you they say take 89. That 100%. And, and so I think if you want, if you want to look at it from a positive perspective, there's a lot of positive things to take away, and that's kind of what I wrote about a little bit in in my story, but. It's, it all gets lost because, you know, it, and it may be over the next four or five days, you're going to see some people kind of recognize that Oregon showed a lot in this game. But right now, kind of the emotional knee-jerk reaction is, gosh, this team stinks. I can't believe they, they didn't win that game. I mean, they should have won Stanford that game. Stanford didn't give up 24 points all year going right. into this game, and Oregon put up 24 in the first half. I think there's a ton of positives. I think the defense came out, did what they need to. They recognized Stanford. The offense came out with a completely... Uh, new wrinkles just all over the place, just different things Stanford wasn't ready for. They weren't even, Stanford's defense wasn't even ready for Oregon's cadences. Uh, six instances where guys jumped off sides. Kind of curious uh, why those weren't called. Only one was called, I believe. Um, so it's interesting to see that. Uh, I think there's a lot of lessons learned about the Ducks. And like, we now know who the Ducks are. Yeah. I mean, I think they are. Uh, real quick, go back to something that you said about Dylan Mitchell. I just wanted to throw some historical context into this. His, with it. his 239 yards are the second most in school history, just behind Tony Hartley's 242 versus Washington, November 1st, 1998. He caught 14 passes, which are the second most in single uh, game history at Oregon. Two behind Sammy Parker's 16-catch performance versus Minnesota in the Sun Bowl, December 31st of 2003. Uh, and then his 239 receiving yards are the most by a Pac-12 player since Washington State's Vincent, Vince Mayo had 252 in 2014 at Arizona State. I said this last week. I kind of talked about it 
tomorrow crystal ball after the, after the San Jose State game. Uh, is there a go-to receiver on this team? Does this team need a go-to receiver? We have one now. Mm-hmm. We, we see mm-hmm. we have found the go-to receiver at Oregon, and it, it's Dylan Mitchell. And I think going into the year, you kind of expected it. Right, I think so. I, I, I felt like he, he was going to be a really good number two guy, having to play as the number one receiver. Tonight, watching him play against the Stanford defense that's one of the best in the country, he dominated. I mean, he caught 14 of 17 targets, had you know a historic night from the game, and the only thing that was short for him was a touchdown. Let's 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 also ask: Do we have a better idea of the Oregon run game now? Because CJ Verdell had 20 carries of I think Oregon's what 20 or 33 running back carries, so he yeah. he dominates. Second time going over 100 yards in three games. Yeah, and so I I think you and, and of course that fumble is going to be again it's one of those things where that's going to overshadow so much of what happened. But he ran the ball 20 times for 115 yards, had a touchdown. Um, I think he had a, a really strong game. If you remove that play at the very end, and you could probably say that. Uh, you know that's kind of the over the overlying kind of thing here, but could have happened to any running back, right? I I just think, you know, you saw him get the bulk of the carries when they needed them, and I think to me, you come away from this game and you go, you, you already adjusted Herbert was really good. Jimmy's offensive line had some talent, but you have some more clarity now about like you said, Dylan Mitchell at wide receiver, and I think you now have a better idea at running back. I think Verdell has at the moment at least, or my feeling Our- is, has kind of separated himself as RB one. Are, are we going to see some changes to the depth chart on, on Monday? I really do think, like, I don't know if Cristobal would do that, but I think right now C.J. Verdell at least deserves to be named co-starter. Uh, it'd be, I mean, that that's what they ran until those guys needed a break, it's, and then you saw Travis die. Well, it's also worth mentioning that we don't really know. Tony Brooks-James didn't really have any offensive he was on the punt. The he was on the punt On the return, final kickoff return, right? Which yeah. was a little strange. Um, First time we saw him in, like, 12, 12 minutes yeah, of there, there must be something going on, and, and this is what kind of stinks about post game and the way this game played out. We got crystal ball for about thirteen minutes mm-hmm. um, before we were cut off by Oregon's media services uh, employees, and we're so focused on analyzing what happened, why did this happen, totally. what was the decision that we, you know, as a media group didn't have enough time to get to the other you know, nitty-gritty stuff of injuries. The, the daily, you know, daily. The, you know, the daily stuff that we always get to. Um, so we're going to have to wait until Monday to hear from Mario Cristobal about injuries and whatnot. But I, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if we find out that something happened with, with Tony Brooks James in, in an injury just because he didn't play at all really in the second half. And I, I'm on board with both of you guys. I, I think Verdell is the guy that's going to emerge. Now whether that happens week five at Cal, or maybe that happens after the after the bye week going into the Washington game. Um, or, or maybe it never really rises to the top and Verdell starts. Maybe TJ, you know, Tony Brooks James always starts the game and always gets maybe 13 or 14 carries, but every game Verdell is going to be the workhorse and the guy that finishes the game with the most carries and on the field in the, in the lasting moments. Kind of in, in the same vein into who are the standout players, I think We've known now for the past three weeks on defense that Justin Hollis, Justin Hollins is probably the Ducks' key player right now. I think Jalen Jelks, Justin Hollins are really fighting for that. But Jordan Scott, yeah, he was great. I was I, mean, I was going to correct you before that. I, I think it's Jordan Scott. I think he's the yeah. Most well, I was going to say, but but coming coming into the game, oh sure, you you weren't you were like oh Jordan's really good. He's top top three, top four, uh, right up there with uh, Hollins, Jelks, and Die. 
after tonight, he is going to be an All-American. I just will say that right now. I, I, we're not even into hot takes, but that's not really a hot like, take. Let's, but let's be real. I think this is like, this game to me sort of legitimized that this is the best Oregon front seven we've seen since probably 2012, 2011. I mean, this is a really good group. Stanford, Stanford is one of the better off, you know, they're really good up front and they have, I would say, the best running back in the conference and they ran the ball at a clip of about three yards a carry and that's about what Oregon's season average has been. So, um, it's hard to argue that this is not a tremendous group, and that also includes Jalen Jokes, for whatever reason, only having one tackle. Um, yeah, it, I I kind of – Jalen Jokes was not a guy you heard his name from. Uh, Jordan just – there was a play, and I put it on Twitter. Um, I think it was kind of interesting and had a lot to the program um, – or had a lot to the game. There was a play where Bryce Love gets handed off the ball on a draw play, and Jordan Scott is literally standing in the hole like, I'm waiting for you. He just... They could not contain him until the second half when they had to start running some special plays to avoid him. Let's... Should we look a little bit forward to next week's game against Cal? Because I think sudden... This game feels like it's kind of been lost in the shuffle a little bit. Just because it's sandwiched between Oregon and Washington. I don't think people have been talking about this Cal game as much as they probably should. This now feels like a huge game for Oregon, not just because Cal's 3-0 and and it's on the road and it's going to be their first road game, but also because Oregon's going to be reeling off this. And you, and you could sense that in post-game. I think it looked like Jordan Scott might have been crying. He looked, he was certainly shook. Well, I think Mario Cristobal may have been crying, I mean, there, looking at his eyes. Right, I mean, the, there was a lot of emotion. You could, We heard it while we were sitting, waiting for them to start doing interviews. Players yelling curse words, people slamming doors. I mean, it was a, it was a there pretty... There were loud, very... Non-child appropriate words coming from the right. I mean, it, it, when that field goal went in the press box, you could hear the organ. You could hear one the Stanford coaches' room, the coaches that were still yeah. up here, uh, making like loud cheers, and then you could hear. I heard a very loud F word. So well, we heard know, a couple, that was yeah, the same word that, we heard. That was a couple of times. I, I, I'm not sure. If that, I don't think that, we should go too much into what we heard. Right. But but but, yeah. but what I but basically what I was getting at is that this Cal game, which I, and maybe it's not fair to call it an afterthought, but to me it felt like a game that you kind of went. Oregon's in pretty shape to win this game. You know, it's in between Stanford and Washington, which are the two big games of the season. Now, to me, I think it, it becomes a, a critical game here because you could very well see Oregon come out flat after a very emotional game yeah. that they should have won, and suddenly they're 0-2 in Pac-12 play going into a bye week before they're playing Washington, who just beat Arizona State, and if they win next week, is probably going to be a top-10 team again, or a top-five team possibly again. So it, I think this shape, Stanford, this Cal game shapes up yeah, really important. We have a story on the site that will say that exact thing. I, I think this this Cal game is going to define what happens now for Oregon in 2018. Is it going to be a season where they win nine games and they end up maybe being second in the division? Or even, you know, first place is still in the picture. Sure. Stanford still has to play Washington. Stanford still has to... Uh, Play, I think Arizona State. They have to play, you know, California, who's three and zero. And you know, you were just talking about how improved you know they are. Right. You know, there, there are still losable games, uh, or, or games that Stanford could lose on on the docket this season. And it's too early to, to wipe Oregon out. But this Cal game could could keep Oregon right in the thick of it if they win. And you know, we think who they are. That they are who we think they are. Or you know, Stanford could beat them twice. And 100%. and. Then this team, I start wondering about their mental makeup and how right. you know how they kind of handle uh, what what has been the hand that has been dealt to them. And we should also 
mention this. Uh, Kevin's doing it right now. Um, kind of some breaking news going on through uh, post game of this game, and Taj Griffin, uh, senior running back from Oregon, has announced that uh, he's tweeted out, "Thankful for all the support and positivity." I have received from the fan base here, but I'm going to open up other options from here. Hashtag thanks. What, what, That's what basically options right now? he is a re- he will be a redshirt graduate transfer, so he'll redshirt this year okay. because of the new redshirt year. He'll graduate transfer, have one more year of eligibility at a chosen college. Yeah, that's that's kind of what this new deal is of transferring and redshirting. You know, this is what's going to come into play. Of you're going to have guys four games into a season say, you know what, this isn't working, this isn't playing out like I thought. I'm not. I'm going to pull out. I'm going to go somewhere else, and I'm going to finish my season. I'm going to redshirt this year, and you know, fin- you know, go play somewhere else and be eligible next season. That's that's the craziest thing of the you know with this transfer change and you know I kind of understand why he's doing it he's well, not playing he, he didn't even play today no I don't even think he was suited up um, he's not playing and I think it's been very it's been very clear in games he's at best the fourth man fifth man uh, the running back depth chart I mean Tony Brooks James had something going on. Darian Felix was ruled out, and he couldn't sniff the field against Stanford today. And everyone's going to say wasted talent, you know, why Oregon didn't use him. And Eric, you and I have been at, you know, basically yeah. we've been at every practice uh, for, for Oregon. One of us has. And I think it's safe to say he's just, he's not as consistent. I mean, he's, he's a very electric player, a very yeah. talented player. But he's just not consistent in practice with the rest of the guys. I was going to say, we get a lot of questions about Taj Griffin. Obviously, he was, a, I think, almost a five-star recruit. A five-star recruit some places, 24-7, I think, had him as a high four-star. Um, sort of lies a true freshman. A lot of people wondering why he's not a big part of the offense. Hate to rag on a kid, especially when he's on his way out. But just in practice, it, it, it's night and day from him and a lot of the other guys in terms of the effort. And you, and you it's almost be kind of come a running joke where you watch one of the the other running backs do a drill, and, and running backs coach Jim Mastro congratulate him on a good rep, and then Taj does it, and Mastro is just kind of up in arms, like, "Come on, let's 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 put in some effort here." So um, that's sort of some background from what we've seen in practice. But obviously, you know that that's disappointing news. I don't know how much it impacts this team because he wasn't even a guy they were utilizing um, in today's game. But obviously, there are nicks and bruises and injuries throughout the season, and now Oregon is down a running back, and, and they now have. I believe just what five scholarship running backs, which is still a good number. Yeah. But if guys like Darren Felix are banged up and today, James, they were right. they were in a situation where they know, used four. They they had four, and once there, you know, I, I feel irresponsible saying something was going on with Tony because we don't because we truly don't know. Right. It, but the Ducks, you know, they didn't have any experience to lean on outside of Tony, and I kind of really wonder. Did Stanford win this game just because they've been here before? They have been at this platform, at this level, at this magnitude of a football game before and have right. gone through the processes that it requires to win. And Oregon hasn't. Flat up, they haven't done it. They, you know, they've got we, – we said this on the, on the beginning of the game on our Facebook Live. Uh, Eric, I think you and I talked about this on the podcast this week. Um, we've said it on the message boards on DuckTerritory.com throughout that we were curious to see how Oregon would handle the big stage with the national spotlight in a in a close quarter game, considering the three opponents that they played in the non-con, which you know, that's a whole other story that they can't control. Uh, and I think this was a game that 
that experience helped Stanford win. Yeah, I th- and I wrote this is kind of what I led with in my my post game story was that I think for about thirty and maybe you'd even say forty minutes of this game, you got to see exactly what Mario Cristobal wanted from this football team. They were good in the run game. They were as efficient as you could be passing. The defense was excellent. And then the wheels came off. And when the wheels came off, things looked really ugly. And it was, you know, it was, it was a situation where they should have still won that football game, but you saw how much this team needs to learn. I don't think this team is, is ready yet to close out football games, and Stanford is. And we just watched Washington, another you know, top team 10 team. That has played some really big, some games big games the last two or three years. Yeah, finish it out. And that's the difference. I think from a talent perspective, having watched this conference now for four weeks, I think Oregon might have the most talented team in the conference. US, I mean, I, I, and that's a hot take, maybe, but but are you? It's hard for me. It's hard to convince me that Stanford is better than Oregon. I don't think USC is better than Oregon. Washington might be the only team, but the difference between Stanford, Washington, and Oregon is that those teams have played these big games. They know how to finish games, and I, you know, you wonder. And this is how I finished the article: is basically Oregon has a talent to win this conference. Do they? Do they have the ability to translate that talent yeah. into something like that? And we don't know the answer to that. And I think. Today, unfortunately, we saw a superior team that really outplayed its opponent lose a game they should not have lost. Yeah, and that's going to be the thing that's really going to haunt this team tonight, tomorrow, and into next week. Um, and shoot, no, maybe in December maybe, when they're getting assigned bowls. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a game that they're going to look back on. And I'm sure as coaches, that's probably – players, look, these guys are 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 years old. You know, they'll flush this thing – Tomorrow morning, they'll they'll wake up. They'll watch NFL Red Zone. They'll watch their favorite pro team. Yeah. They'll get out to practice, and yeah, they'll be bummed about it. Um, but you know, they'll move on. And I think these coaches—that's where the hangovers can really come. Because look, these guys obsess over the littlest things, and there's six, seven, eight, nine things in this game that are little, little, little mess ups that. If you correct one, you might win. <laughs> yeah, if you just correct one of those. I mean, you, 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 we talked about this coming up from the from the, the interview room back up to the press box that they had the fourth down, or they they obviously had the the, the second and and two on the Sanford forty that they fumbled on. You know, what if they kneeled, or, or what if uh, he doesn't he doesn't, he doesn't fumble, or what if he he falls over instead of fighting for more yards, just gets down. What happens there? They win. What happens? on that kickoff that started that drive mm-hmm. where you brought this up where there was an unsportsmanlike penalty on a touchback that how does that happen how does that happen and maybe maybe Oregon looks at it and says hey look we're in field goal range all we got to do is just get the ball in, into the center of the field take two knees and then kick a field goal with with the clock expiring. With, with yeah with four, six seven seconds left and the clock expiring and we make it awesome we miss it they have one second left to play. Yeah. Uh, there's I mean, the worst possible thing is the kick is the, is the old kick six play that yes. Auburn Alabama had. But I'm pretty sure Adam Sachs got the leg. Who happened to be uh, coaching that game? Lamar Cristobal. Uh, and then there's also the situation where the Jalen Red play. Mm-hmm. You know, apparently the ruling and the and that we should talk about this too is yeah, a little bit. The understanding that, that we have is that the pylon is out of bounds, and that the, the way the angle that Jalen Red took on that end around. Uh, he stepped out of bounds before the ball crossed the plane. I mean, that's just a freak thing. I mean, what are the chances that happens? You know, so that's another one that you just what if? Yeah. And then okay, so he's at the one. Well, what if Oregon didn't get cute and just did QB sneak under center with Justin Herbert? And they score a touchdown. It's thirty-one to seven. 
what if Cyrus Avila Keo doesn't fumble the ball anyways? He probably gets in. It's 31 to 7. What if Jake Hansen doesn't snap the ball over the head of Justin Herbert? And then what if Justin Herbert lands on the ball instead of it popping up right into Joey Alfieri's hands yeah. and he runs 80 yards for a touchdown? I mean, there are so I mean, and and what what if Stanford doesn't get a first down and get the ball in field goal range at the end of the game? Because right. it, it, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But Stanford had to make some plays there. They had to go exactly. about thirty five. They had to convert a third down. I mean, yeah. they, their, be, first, mm-hmm. their first their uh, first series of the drive, they had to convert a third and ten. What if Oregon if, breaks that up? If Oregon breaks it, and, there's, and then what if Oregon even plays better defense in overtime? What if? I mean, to me, there were two glaring pass interference calls. The one on in Stanford. the end zone, the Dylan Mitchell. There are two of them in, in, in about three, two or three plays there that were blatant, and one of them was just like extremely blatant. Um, if, if those are called, but maybe Oregon has the ball at the five-yard line and they score. So there's so many things here, and again, you're playing a little revisionist history, but this is a game that was so incredibly winnable and almost excruciatingly winnable. Um, the fact that it turns into a 38-31 loss is, is almost improbable just considering where Oregon was at you know at for the majority of this game. And so um, I don't think there's any other way to say it, but you know I think Oregon fans are going to come away feeling like a total missed opportunity. I think Oregon feels the same way. It, it feels a lot like I, I, this is just me. Um, I, I texted with some friends that are Oregon fans immediately after the game. They they all had some questions, but every single one of them said, "You know what? This felt a lot like the Alamo Bowl. It." It really did. I mean, some bad snaps, some misplays, some misopportunities, and missed execution. It it felt like something that was a given that you had taken away. And one of my friends actually said, the loss doesn't sting that bad. This one? He said it didn't sting as bad as the Alamo Bowl because it's almost like the Ducks weren't at the peak. They're climbing the mountain right now. Yeah, you know, and, and we should mention here is you were looking at it. There were a lot of losses, in fact, you know, in the NCAA with teams ranked ahead of Oregon. This is a game where Oregon, if they would have won this game, guaranteed top ten. I was gonna say they could have jumped very close to the top ten, if not in the top ten. Instead, I'll be very curious to see. Do they even drop? I don't. I don't I mean, think like, they should. But I think there's gonna be some people. <clears throat> Twenty three. Twenty so? I think there's gonna be people. I, I think there's gonna be people that didn't watch the game and didn't understand what transpired and think, oh, Oregon lost by seven. It was an overtime. Good for them. I still, you know, I, I'm not sold on them. Whereas I think the voters that watch the game are probably going to go, Oregon's actually maybe better than I thought they were. Um, but this was an opportunity, again, for them to jump maybe to the top ten. Instead, they're going to be probably right on the on the cusp of being ranked. Probably, I would guess they'll be ranked, but nothing is for certain. Um, nothing is a, ever for a, certain. A lot of, a lot of lost opportunities um, for certain in this game. I This game, it's going to go down as a column, and I'm a huge component of... There, you you can't walk away from a loss feeling positive. Uh, you know, you, oh wow, well, you know we shouldn't have been in this game anyways. And quality you know, loss. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not one of those people. But Oregon should be sick to their stomach that they lost this game because because they should have blown out Stanford. Agreed. And they they are the better team than Stanford. Um, I I can say that pretty confidently. The, the score is not going to show that because Stanford's the more experienced team. They've been here before and they know how to win. Uh, Oregon crapped the bed. And at the same time, I walk away thinking, you know what? Oregon's probably what we were thinking they were going into this season. They are really good. I think they, they have their warts. You know, the secondary got beat up sure. by, by Stanford's receivers. Um, 
There's and, a lot to be desired. I think. And tr- and trust me, I can tell you right now, those guys know what they you know were not in a good you know, position tonight. They are taking this this loss hard. You know, Eric, you and I were walking out of a out of the facility, and there's a, a point where we're leaving the facility, and we have to walk by parents. It's kind of awkward. Um, yeah. And you know, we know a couple of the parents through covering recruiting and you know just covering this team. And one of them came up to us and you know said his boys hurting from this. Mm-hmm. And you know these guys know it. And I, you know that's going to be something that they're going to have to solve. And Oregon's you know head coach Mark Cristobal talked about that. We played Oregon. He said Oregon played man man defense, and that's to stop the run. They they said we want Stanford to beat us throwing the air, and that's how they did it. Teams are now going to look at that, and they're going to try and exploit that. That being said, I don't know if there's another team outside of Arizona State who has the receivers that's on Oregon's schedule that's going to be able to do what Sanford did tonight. Yeah, you know, and, 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 it, and actually it's kind of funny because, you know, I not that took some flack, but I, going into the game, I thought it was going to come down to slowing down these Stanford receivers more than it was against Bryce Love, and, and surprisingly, because I'm not always right, which you can attest what? to, I, uh, <laughs> I was right because that, that is sort of what it came down to because Oregon's front seven was extremely strong and I thought played the run really, really well. But again, it, it was these corners, and I think you kind of leave with a lot to be desired there. But like you said, there aren't a lot of matchups that are going to be more challenging. Uh, Stanford, you know, their touchdowns were basically just let's get a taller receiver in the end zone and have him box out the defensive back, and they won those battles. Um yeah, I, I think there's going to be some questions, and I think that even goes down into the recruiting pipeline uh, about what the Ducks do. One of the things that Levitt was known for, and I think like one of the, the biggest talking points when he was at Colorado, is the tall cornerbacks, mm-hmm. the lengthy cornerbacks that could guard any receiver. The Ducks don't have lengthy cornerbacks, and aside from Elijah Blades, who might only be a one-year player, uh, the 2019 commit, I mean, Mikhail Wright is, what, 5'10"? Five, five, um, yeah. Yep. This was something that Willie Taggart was trying to address when he was the head coach. Um, you look at the guys that they were going after. Uh, Isaiah Bolden's like six one. Like um, Lindsey was a safety, but he was you know he was six foot. Um, you know th- this is a an issue, and I think Taggart or Mario Cristobal is aware of that and kind of look at look at the guys that they've go- they're going after. They've taken some smaller DBs, but those guys are like some of the best players in the country. So right. I think they're what they're saying is is okay, we'll sacrifice the height and in return we're getting a guy that's, you know, I mean, a, a top 3 player, top Bridges 4 player at his position. He's 63 and he's a safety. And he's a safety. Elijah Blaze is 62, he's a cornerback. Yeah. Uh Trent McDuffie, one of the top corners in the nation is what 5'11", I believe. Yeah. So he's got some height. Isaiah Rutherford, a guy that's on their target list, 62. Is 62. Right now, the Ducks We'll get into a little VIP stuff on this podcast, Ooh. Uh, but they're lo- looking to take one. That's what we've been told. I think they need to take two now. We talked. I about think. That. I think they need to take Isaiah, a guy like Isaiah Waterford. Two more two cornerbacks. Two more DBs or two more cornerbacks. I think they need two more cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a position right now. What you have five scholarship hockey woods will be gone after this season. He's uh, trying to petition, but that's probably position, un- unlikely. We've been told it's unlikely. Um, so you're gonna have you're gonna bring in two more, so you'll have six, but then you 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 could potentially lose Thomas Grant and Elijah Blades to the draft if they're both that high. I everything I've heard about Elijah Blades, he's that good. He's the real deal, but it's gonna be interesting to see. Let's close this up by doing our hot takes. 
quick, let's, let's do a little recru- uh, quick more recruiting up. Sure. Okay, go ahead. Uh, five star DJ Uli Gay. Yeah, I can't just say call his him name. DJ Ukulele. Just call him DJ U. DJ U. Easiest thing to do. Five star. If you don't know who I'm talking about, Eric should be the only one that knows how to pronounce it. I don't know if he does or not because he's actually stood no next to him. Uh, I've, Are you kidding me? I've asked him a few. Disrespectful. Times, so. You I'm even flew down to California to talk just to, to him. talk to Mr. Ukulele. That is not his name, but okay. He was here. Trent McDuffie, the cornerback we just mentioned. Did we explain why he's the importance of DJU being here? Oh, I don't yeah. think you did. He happens to be a five-star number one quarterback in the 2020 class. Top five class. player in the 2020 he, class. The Oregon had two top okay five players here. Yeah, he's pretty good. Uh, they The Ducks had two guys here that were top five players in the 2020 class. DJU uh, is the fifth best player in the country, number one quarterback for 2020. And then Savelle Smalls is, I believe, the number three player in the country out of Garfield High School. Uh, he's an outside linebacker slash defensive end type prospect. So it's 2020. It's a year away from when they signed. Nonetheless, has 21 two, of the, yeah, two of the five best players in the country uh, were in the stands tonight. And I will say this. Losses do not impact recruiting at all. Um, Recruits want to hear what they are going to go into. Yes. Wins will help. Um, it, it's kind of one of those things where, like, look, you have to, like, get blasted, and you have to look awful. You have to look like Florida State. You have to look like Florida State. You have to look like Oregon did against Washington in 2016, in 2016 when yeah. they lost 70-21 to 21 for recruits to walk into that stadium and say, I don't want to be here. Or like uh, Jeremy Pruitt, who's kicking a whiteboard right now on, on SportsCenter. <laughs> uh, you know, so this loss is not going to hurt Oregon in a recruiting perspective. If anything, it's going to help because these guys are going to look at the, at the depth chart and say, hey, I'm that missing piece that's going to get Oregon over the hump. Um, so it, the loss isn't going to hurt. It shouldn't hurt. Uh, they, they have a lot of guys on campus for this weekend. It was a big weekend in recruiting. Autzen in itself was, as the kids would say, lit. Uh, I can't believe I just said that. Uh, but it was, it was fire emoji, bro. Yeah, it was fire emoji. Uh, Autzen was just insane, and we haven't seen that that atmosphere since 2014 Michigan State um, when Oregon was just on fire. Uh, I think 2014 Washington was yep. the last time you could comparably say what tonight's Autzen was. I mean, it, it was to the point where I could not. Un- so, in, in we'll pull the curtain back a little bit. In the press box, there is a second PA person, Greg Walker, SID for the basketball team during the football season provides play-by-play for the media and he's on a microphone I could not understand half of at, at minimum half of what he was saying because it was so loud from the crowd and their their sounds coming into the press box uh, it was difficult to, to work because I couldn't how long of a play was that I, who, who got the sack I you know it was difficult to hear the play-by-play, and that was because of how loud Autzen was. It was truly back to what it was historically. Yeah, and you'd love to see that. Um, I think, you know, there were con- I wrote about this a couple weeks ago. Oregon struggled in attendance and non-conference play. A large part of that is obviously the schedule was not really enticing. If you're a fan, you probably don't necessarily want to go watch Oregon beat up on San Jose State or Portland State. It was understood. But there were some questions about whether or not Oregon was going to pack this game, whether or not it was going to be the type of environment that it turned out to be. And I think, you know, Cristobal kind of and some of the coaches challenged the fans to show up and, and kind of try to break the decibel re- level. And 
And I think they have to come away and pleased with that. I mean, this was a fi- this is a fan base that has had some kind of down years, but you saw them really rally. And, and when Oregon was playing really well into that third quarter, it was it was raucous, and it was raucous to start the game too. And um, I think you have to be encouraged at Otson for for a game with Otson. And, and I th- have to imagine the next time we see Oregon playing at Otson in three weeks against Stanford or against Washington UW. is going to be the same Look, thing. I'll say this: typically, the last two years. We have been able to leave Watson Stadium whenever we wanted to because there was no wait to get out of the stadium. There was no traffic. There's no traffic jams. Tonight, uh, we, we were going into to this press, you know, this podcast, but it was, hey, maybe we get out of here in 20 minutes. We can get, get in the car in 30 and be home in, in, in 40 for at least Eric and I. And looking out from above the press box out onto MLK, no chance. No, because, 11 o'clock, it was still gridlock. Yeah, it, completely gridlocked. That means people are in the parking lots. That means people are in the stands uh, for, the the full, for the full game. And yeah. at 11 o'clock, there is still traffic. Yeah, People were here. People were in force. I think now the one downside is, is you know, just imagine if they had won. Mm-hmm. What kind of the support would be like. You know, Obviously, it helps that UW is coming into town next. If that was an Arizona State, I'd be kind of thinking, you know, they're probably not going to have a sellout again. You know, but the fact that it's UW, people are going to be jacked up uh, to see this team win again. Uh, Austin should be, you know, pretty raucous again. You mean as the kids say, lit? Yes. Uh, now let's get to let's get to uh, hot takes. Um, I haven't thought of one, so I am going to defer until the third selection. Which one of you guys wants to go first? Okay, look at me. Um, <laughs> let's see here. What what side of the coin do I want to be on? Do I want to be super optimistic or super pessimistic? Pessimistic. Pessimistic? No, uh, just, just go where you want to go. What I, I'm going to say, and this is op- extremely optimistic, I think Oregon's, I don't think Oregon's going to lose again this season. Wow. I actually... I'm was, actually taken back by that. I I was thinking Make about that. Similar. Make I, your case. Make your case. Here's here's my case. Washington's the best team that they play on the schedule. I think that game is very winnable. I have, Washington has not been particularly impressive in wins over Arizona State or Utah this season in conference play. Um, I think Oregon is going to win that game. The game that honestly scares me the most is this Cal game just because of the letdown possibility. I could see Oregon losing twice because of the Stanford game. But the rest of the schedule isn't particularly daunting. You know what I mean? I mean, the, Oregon is a very front-heavy conference schedule. You know, you get into it, and I think at Washington State is going to be tough. I, I, I think – the more you look at it, maybe that Arizona State game at home ends up being more tough than it looked like um, before the season started. But it's not a particularly challenging schedule. And again, this is hot take. This is this is me pushing the envelope a little bit here. I don't necessarily know if this is going to happen or not. But I think I think Oregon well, has if it does. I, if you do know, go to a casino and throw some money down. And but my my thing is, I think Oregon proved to Danny. I said this earlier in the show. Maybe this should be my hot take. I think Oregon has the most talented team in the conference after watching this game. And obviously, they didn't play the smartest game. They didn't finish this game, but. To me, they proved that they have the more talent, and they're you know probably from top to bottom the best team in this conference. And I think they're going to prove that for the next two months of the season. I, I actually i I don't think your hot take is as hot as you want it to seem. I think there's you look at Oregon's schedule; every team is beatable. I mean, 100%. you've seen Auburn, a physical team, beat Washington. But the problem is not like, Auburn has an okay defense. Uh, why? Well, I'm sorry, has an okay offense. Washington doesn't really have that strong an offense, so it's going to be interesting to see um, what that game brings. I think that that's the key to the whole season. Um, 
I, I kind of had a hot take on mind, but uh, I just don't think it's possible. I mean, my my really hot like my, my hot take, and it doesn't seem as hot, but after tonight, I think it will be. Justin Herbert will be invited to New York for the yeah. Heisman ceremony. That's a good I, one. I don't. I don't think he'll win. I'll be really honest. I think Tua Tagovailoa and Dwayne Haskins are just going to have two great seasons with two programs that are just going to excel so well. Uh, but those are two guys. I mean, those are two guys that I think will end up pulling a lot of the vote away from Justin Herbert. But he'll still get an invite. He'll be QB one in the NFL draft. I mean, you looked at the first. If half, he goes. If he goes, yes. Yeah, you know what? He'll be QB1 in two years still. Boom. Hottest take. That is, that, that is a long-term hot take, so uh, you guys can find me in, in the 2020 <laughs> in, NFL draft. In May of 2020. And yell yes. at me if I'm wrong. Uh, you guys no, can I, yell at me and thank you. Looking months. at all of the trusted NFL experts on Twitter, they were gushing over first half. Justin Herbert. Oh, 100%. And you, get rid of that for, you get rid of the overtime, the five incompletions. That might be one of the best lines a Pac-12 quarterback has ever thrown in a game. I mean, I had I'd have to look it up, but did Mariota ever have a two incompletion, twenty-seven attempt game? Uh, can't. What was? It? I think his opener, like his very first start, was something. Fine, ins- insane. first a Pac-12 team. He might have done something pretty special against Washington.